Good morning, everyone. Thank you for coming out on this chilly Advent morning. Um, this morning, um, Patrick Egan is going to be our teacher. And I don't know if all of you know Patrick, but he and his family have been coming to All Souls since, I think, 2009, something around then. Yeah. Um, however, he, is, he came, he was a teacher at Clapham School. He's also a New Testament scholar. He's published some articles and books. And currently, he is the academic dean at Clapham. And um, his family are long-term members of our church. And it's really great to have him back teaching catechesis with us this morning. Thank you, Patrick. I am going to use the roving mic, because I did get some complaints last week. People who listened to it couldn't hear the comments. So if you wouldn't mind waiting till I get to you to ask your question, I will come as quick as I can. Thank you. Yeah. All right. One of the other roles I have currently is I teach uh, Biblical Greek at Covenant Seminary in St. Louis. And we'll do a little bit of Greek work. Uh, so hopefully that doesn't intimidate you today. <laughs> so. Um, so what? So you have been introduced to me. Now what we're going to do is everybody stand together, and you're going to introduce yourself to the people around you, and your goal is to find a conversation partner. You can find one or two other people around you because we'll be talking with each other, discussing ideas. So I think this is always helped by just standing up, turning around, seeing who's around you, greeting them, share a name. Bring it back in in five, four, three, two, one. All right, so today we'll be talking about repentance, which feels like such a heavy word for the, you know, the Advent season. We're supposed to be celebrating and lighting candles, decorating trees, wrapping presents. So one of my objectives for today is for us to gain a fuller understanding of what repentance means, to hopefully be able to apply it to our lives today, but also understand what this Advent season is all about as we prepare for uh, the incoming of Christ. So what, what I want to do to start off is to think about the idea of repentance as turning. And oftentimes in life, we have these turning points, we might call them. They're mile markers along the way. Uh, I've often found that people who might have uh, had to have a stay at a hospital or, or uh, uh, a wedding or a new birth in the family uh, can oftentimes be major turning points in life. Uh, but some, some of these major turning points um, can be subtle or, or significant. So what I want you to do is, is take a moment and think about some of those major turning points in your life uh, and, and just think about what was happening in those major turning points, in those major mar mile markers in your life that were the thing that maybe drew you closer to God, the thing that um, forced you to connect in, in some way 
with God. So I want you to think about that for a moment. I'll give you a few moments to, to like review that entire life and, and then choose one or two that, that you think might be uh, worth discussing. And then we'll turn to our, our friends. So take a moment to think about that. All right, if you have a, uh, an idea in mind, uh, it may be so personal you don't want to share it. But oftentimes these are, these are, even though they can have the element of tragedy in them, because they draw us to God, there's, there is a lightness, there is a joy that penetrates through what might be tragic. Um, and so maybe uh, sharing with, with a discussion partner what that turning point was for you. Uh, so again, we can turn to our neighbors around us, our discussion partner, share with them what this uh, turning point was, this mile marker was in your life. I'll give you a few moments to chat. We'll take another moment to share. If, if you're in a partnership, maybe make sure the other person has a chance to share. All right, we'll bring it back in in five, four, three, two, one. All right, does, did anybody have, have an example of a turning point that, that they would like to share? We, we do have a roving mic that we can bring around. I, I just think it's so rich to see ways in which God has reached down into our normal lives and done things that have turned us to him. Does anybody want to share a moment? Thank you, John. What if I project my voice? <laughs> <laughs> so I um, realized in my mid-20s, while at a worship service at Regent College, that I had sort of assumed that God would protect me from, like, not bad stuff, just from really bad stuff. Specifically, you know, disablement, early death, chronic pain, severe confusion. 
And um, in being led through a guided prayer in this uh, service, I, I checked that with God and he said, that's not right. <laughs> um, and I said, well then what is the, the use of worshiping you if you can't do that? And he answered that question very powerfully, which would take a long time to explain. But that was a, certainly a moment of, of realization. I don't, I don't know if it's repentance in the terms of, like, I didn't say to myself, ooh, I've been thinking this like sinful wrong thing about God, how shameful. I was just, for the first time, able to articulate the thing and a, while I was aware that he was listening. Whereas previously, I'd been kind of telling myself as though he couldn't hear me. Thank you for sharing that. And actually, that gets to the very heart of what I want to do today, is to help us to understand repentance, not simply as that thing where the major movement when we're turning away from that life of sin to salvation, but a lot of simple moments when we're, we're turning and refining and getting ourselves moved in the right direction towards God. Does anybody else want to share? That's fine, that's fine. We're, we're shy this morning. We'll get you warmed up and loosened up as the morning goes on. Well, I, wanted, I promised you some Greek words, so let's talk about metanoia. Metanoia is uh, this Greek word that means repentance. Uh, the, the corresponding verb, metanoia-o, is, is the verb that John the Baptist uses when he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we'll see that Jesus repeats word for word, repent, for the, for, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, just one chapter later as we read through our passages. So I wanted to understand what these Greek words mean. So to repent, to metanoia, is literally to change the mind, the noose, the the, the thing up here where we're like taking the ideas and we're transforming them, we're moving them in a different direction. But we can also think of it as something like physically turning around. So if somebody calls your name and you turn around to look at them, that would be a metanoia, that would be that turning around. And so we can sense in the preaching of John the Baptist and the preaching of Jesus, this message, almost like, hey, over here, the kingdom of heaven, turn this way so that you can experience this thing that we're bringing to you. So I, I want to pause here because, um, you know, we're learning Greek together, and, and I want to, <laughs> not really, just one word, uh, but you can go home and, and share these, these words now with your family and impress them. So, uh, so metanoia. This idea of repentance, changing the mind, turning around. I want to see what you think about this. How does this help us understand what repentance is? Any thoughts? <laughs> John, I'm so glad you're right there. Yeah. You can both see different things than you could before, and you can move in a different direction than you could before. So in my limited experience with true repentance, I, I can't repent until I see myself not from my own like interests. I have to see what I'm actually doing objectively rather than the excuses I have for why I'm doing those things. And then I can also imagine living without those patterns of behavior only if I'm facing in a different direction than I was. 
I, I think it's notable that uh, in your example, someone calls you and you turn around. Mm -hmm. And so there's, mm -hmm. in my experience, there's always somebody else involved. Mm -hmm. Somebody has to call you out. I can't really, it's not something I do by myself. Mm -hmm. yeah. Any other thoughts? See, we're loosening up. I, I just want to thank our musicians. You know, they're right here. Well, we'll get the others involved too. Um, so yeah, metanoia, changing the mind, turning around. Um, and there is something to do with the eyes. The eyes are, are kind of the way we perceive the world, obviously the ears and uh, you know, other senses as well. Uh, so what I wanna do is a, a brief exercise. I've done this with students, I've done this when I'm training teachers as well. But we're going to learn about diffuse attention and focused attention here for a moment. And so what I want you to do is with your eyes, you're going to move your eyes around the room. You might look out the window, you might look upwards, you know, what, if you've ever uh, looked at the lights before, maybe try to discern what colors are in the carpet and you're just moving your eyes all around, noticing things. This is diffuse attention. And, and then I want you to focus your eyes on my finger here. Do you see, do you feel the difference between diffuse attention and focused attention? Like they're very different and our neurology is set up to do both of those things. Uh, diffuse attention is very much associated with exploration and creativity. And you can think about uh, living on the tundra, looking for a place to uh, shelter, right? And you need that diffuse attention to look and scan, explore for new things versus focused attention. Uh, you can think of, say, a deer at a lake, you know, and they pop their head up and they're just really focused because that's what they need to protect themselves. And so we have both of these connected to our limbic system so that we can respond to all kinds of stimuli around us. And oftentimes we, we will use both of those to learn, to learn things. Uh, the creative mode, diffuse, I, I'm going to bring in lots of things or I'll focus really tightly on something. And knowing the difference between those is really important. Now, how many of you, let's say in prayer, meditation, Bible reading, that diffuse attention starts to creep in? You're reading, you're meditating, and all of a sudden, did I, I need to do that list for shopping later today. Did I leave the oven on? Oh, I really, I haven't called my mom in weeks. You know, I, I should do that. And so it's like, your, your mind wants to now explore. You're trying to keep it really tightly there so you can commune with God. That's the most important thing for you to be doing. And all of a sudden, So when you're tightening it in, bringing that focus back, that is a moment of repentance, isn't it? That's turning my mind and saying, in this moment, the best thing, the most important thing for me to be doing is that singular tight focus on God, and yet the mind wanders. So that wandering mind, each time it's brought back, is indeed an act of repentance. I want to see what you think about this. Does this ring true for you? This, uh, this experience of trying to stay tightly focused on God and the mind goes elsewhere? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I, I think uh, that those moments are um, moving us into a depth of prayer when we're constantly turning. I, I like to imagine uh, 
the Lord looking at us and we turn back to him and every time we turn back to him he's delighted <laughs> what I'd like to do next is read a couple of passages uh, both from Matthew and, and what's guiding our, our work is this book uh, by Tom Wright uh, Advent for Everyone and, and it's looking at Matthew and so in this Advent season, we're working our way through Matthew. And in both of the passages, we'll be hearing the preaching of John the Baptist and Jesus. Um, so I would love to have volunteers. I love keeping the voice out there as opposed to you just constantly listening to me. So can I have a volunteer to read Matthew 6? I'm sorry, 3, 1 through 6. And I'll have somebody else volunteer to read Matthew 4, 12 through 17. Who's going to do Matthew 3? Beautiful, thank you. All right. So we've got Matthew 3 up here, and we can anticipate our Matthew 4 is over here. Great. So Mary, you know where your next move is. Yes, I do. All right, good. So Matthew 3, 1 through 6. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Great. Thank you. Beautifully read. And let's move uh, right into Matthew four twelve through 17. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All right. So we've got our friends around us. And one of the things we're training ourselves to do is just to read and notice. What is it we're noticing in these two passages? So you've got your friends around you. Uh, feel free to discuss with one another. What are things in these passages that are standing out to me? It could be a word, a phrase, a sentence. And just share those insights with one another. Just what you're noticing. You don't even have to interpret at this point. Just notice things.
All right, we'll bring it back in in five, four, three, two, one. Does anybody want to share some things that they noticed in these two passages? And it may be hard to bring the mic around. I, I would love for this to just popcorn for a moment. You know, just call out some things that you noticed. And talk loud, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Other things. Other thoughts, other things that popped out at you. Jesus uses the identical words. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. So one of the pieces of research that I did um, was, was actually investigating that question. And, and I put out there that Jesus was actually a disciple of John, uh, that he submitted himself to the teaching of John, and that in this moment he's actually separating himself out, kind of like uh, Elisha moves away from Elijah, that there's this commissioning moment, and Elisha then preaches with his own authority and authenticity. So um, not everybody agreed with that, which is fine. That's why you put research out there. But, um, but I think you, you sense it more in the Gospel of John, that there's a familiarity between them that seems uh, to indicate that they, they spent many days together. So, uh, And for his message to immediately match John's, I think, is really important. And then it expands from there as he spells out uh, this radically new message. All right, so we have these two passages. And what I'd like to do is go over some of the interpretive steps that Mary talked about last week. And we would call this hermeneutics or, or interpretive methodology, where we begin with what does it mean? And that's why I wanted you to go through that exercise of just noticing the text, letting the text hit you in such a way that words and phrases pop out at you. And we want to be responsive to that, that just noticing things, observation. And then we, we can ask, well, what does it mean then? Meaning in the biblical text, in the biblical time, what does it mean then? And then we can move into what does it mean now, finding those universal elements that apply today. And then what can it mean for me, that personalization that comes through meditation or Lectio Divina, where I'm repeatedly reading it and letting it soak in so that there's something personal and transformative for me. The new thing I want to add into that, because she, she talked about a control, letting that original context be the control for our interpretation. And I want to give you another control. But before we think about that, why control? might be one of the questions you have. And throughout, uh, throughout the history of interpretation, there's always been this uh, tension between spirit-driven interpretation, which 
which can go any direction, right? The spirit can, can take you in any number of directions. And there are uh, church traditions that really emphasize that spirit-led interpretation. Um, but even in Paul, you hear the idea of control. So is there prophecy? Well, the elders need to hear it and agree with one another that this is authentically from God. Are there tongues? Well, we need interpreters. You know, there, there has to be some kind of control that's augmenting this spirit-ledness. And so throughout church history, they've, they've used different kinds of controls. Um, and one of those was the regula fide, or the, the rule of faith, to let the creed be one of those guideposts that says, if it's not in concord with what we believe, we should, we should raise questions of suspicion around this. Not that it's not true, but that the creed can be a very uh, true guide to, to help us uh, with orthodox interpretation, we could say. And so, so this leads me to the creeds. So what's the question that goes with this? You know, what is the creedal insight or is there a connection between what I'm reading here and the creed. Um, so as we go through, through these passages, we, we could ask ourselves, first of all, what did it mean then? So we have these people entering the, the kingdom through metanoia, through repentance. So what, what does that mean then? Any, any thoughts about uh, just thinking about that biblical context? What did it mean then? Does anybody wanna suggest something? I can offer only the barest suggestion, sure, sure. Uh, but when we talk about the kingdom of God coming, I, that could refer to a turning from a diffuse attention to uh, all the different forces around us that, that shape us, shape our behavior, shape our thoughts, and focus on what would it mean f to live under God's rule and how would I start enacting that now, even though the kingdom is not very apparent around me yet. Yeah, and, and when we think about what is, what is that diffuse attention focusing on, right? And the fact that Matthew calls it the kingdom of heaven might be a clue that that heavenly kingdom that's in breaking is in, in distinction from, say, the world around us. So worldly concerns, perhaps, something like that. So we're turning away from those worldly concerns which is really risky, right? Because that's food, shelter, clothing, caring family. But how do you turn away from those things to, to that heavenly kingdom? Um, and so we do hear the radical statements of Jesus uh, where you are turning away from those things. Give up your wealth. Uh, who, who is my mother and my brothers? So it, it is pretty radical, isn't it? What about what it means now? How does this turning to the kingdom of heaven apply to us now? What does it mean now? And, and so what I, one of the things I suggest in the uh, handout there is the kingdom is still at hand. And we are still called to metanoia or, or repentance or this turning. So thinking about how that is still relevant today. Uh, I, I'm forgetting who it was that brought this up. Um, 
in, in a recent sermon, just this whole idea of kingdom. You know, we, we don't live in a monarchy. Um, and, and so kingdom language can sometimes feel very, very foreign to us. I, I think of uh, Monty Python, you know, I didn't vote for you. <laughs> and uh, well, we don't. But in, in some ways, turning to the kingdom it is, uh, recognizes that kingship over me, right? And so what does that look like for us who, who live in this more democratic society? There's a, there's a challenge and potentially a tension. Was that you preaching? I forget. Yeah, yeah, that was you. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, see it? It's still up. Thank you. Um, and then um, what does it mean to me personally? How do I repent or turn around in the simple things in life? And we talked about meditation, Bible reading, and all of that. But I think when we, when we understand a lot of the simple moments we have, uh, doing the dishes on our daily commute, interacting with our children, uh, there are these, these moments when, you know, what does it mean to always be in prayer? That's a very challenging thing uh, because when you are traveling in, uh, say, the dense traffic on 294, Probably not the best time to really close the eyes in prayer, but what does it mean to be connected to God in a vital way in those moments? And then what connects to the creed? I recommend a couple of phrases, and and I'd love to hear others. His kingdom will have no end. If we're being called to the kingdom on a weekly basis, we are confessing that statement or we acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins embedded between these two passages where john is preaching repent for the kingdom is at hand and jesus preaches repent for the kingdom is at hand we have the baptism of jesus and he is baptized into john's baptism which he says is a baptism with water for repentance So what does it mean for Jesus to submit himself to that? Does that tell us something about the nature of the kingdom? So I I have these uh, questions out there. And what I'd like you to do in in your small groups is pull at one of those strands. Maybe you want to pull at the kingdom, or I'm saying the creedal strand. Maybe it's the personal application strand. But I'm going to give you any of those four categories to look at, and in your groups, just say, you know, I, I'm really intrigued by this. I, I wonder what this means. Um, and you can start to, to work through those categories. So I'll give you a few moments to discuss with your, your friends, your partners, uh, some of these ideas.
right. Let's let's bring it back in, and um, it's so it's so fascinating. I walked around a little bit and just hear such rich discussion going on about these biblical passages, and um, you really don't need to be a biblical scholar to really plumb the the riches of these, and that's what's so exciting about opening up scripture in community like this is there's really deep insight that I'm, I'm hearing. So to that end, I would love to hear some of the thoughts that you guys shared with one another in your small groups. Who wants to volunteer to share something that really stood out to you? Mary's got the microphone, so we've got something. don't like the sound of my own voice, so sorry. I feel bad for the rest of you that have to hear it. We were talking about, Dick in particular was talking about how you may think you have a good idea or you may, be, you may feel led in a particular direction, but to return to the creeds, to examine against the light of the creeds in the scripture about whether you are actually pursuing something that God would like for you to pursue or whether it's your own idea. So those, those standards against which we judge our ideas are critically important as Christians. Thank you. Other thoughts? There are so many out there. Don't, don't hold back. Bring it out. Um, and Bonnie and I both were teachers and so we discussed the importance of disciplining children in the light of scripture and at the school where I taught we did a lot of catechism work which is just basically putting the Bible into categories so it's easy for them to come up with an answer but also just um, in disciplining children to get them to identify their behaviors, the motivations for the behaviors. And you can say, what motivated that behavior? And then you can then discuss whether that's sinful or not based on what they know about the scriptures. And if we, dis- if we agree, the child and, and the teacher, that, that, it, that it is actually sin, then to lead the child into quick repentance. And one of the things that I, that I taught at my school was the sooner you repent, the closer you stay to God. It's easy for children to understand proximity. So you say, if you, if you quickly repent, say you're sorry, you're quickly restored. However, if you become practiced in sinning, and particularly lying, then there's this gap that forms between you and the Lord, and Satan loves to come in that gap. So quickly shut in there. Children are afraid of Satan, <laughs> um, as we should all be. But... Just to quickly close that gap, even though repentance is hard, it's hard for all of us, then you stay closer to the Lord, and that's a safer place. That's beautiful. Thank you. We can just pass the mic a little further down. Great. Um, we were just talking a bit about like what it's like to be in the environment of a fully Christian um, 
place, that being the same college for us, um, and how that can, for me personally, that can be hard to then have that focus, like you were having us, like focus in on your finger, the focus in on your own personal, like connection and repentance and time in the word, because you're immersed in a culture of always hearing about things like that. So it's easy to become distracted by that to think that you are doing it. That's a personal thing, but I think just having to remember this is an individual, this is a focused in um, time with God. I think we've got time for one more insight to be shared. Again, from our small group discussions, who wants to share something? Cameron. I was just thinking about how prayer, there's often a common misconception about prayer that it's this commitment that you have to, you know, lock yourself in your room with your face to the rising sun as you fall on your knees with your hands clasped. It's more about just having a spiritually charged mind in your day-to-day life. You don't have to have any time commitment. It doesn't have to be like a 20-minute rigorous connection with the Lord. It just has to be realizing that he's always there with you and that he's always in your mind if you have this spiritually charged mindset. Beautifully said. Thank you. Well, I want to conclude by uh, reviewing a couple of things. So we learned a new Greek word, metanoia. And what does that mean again? To repent or to turn around or to change your mind. Great. Uh, we also learned about uh, the regula fide or the rule of faith and how that can help us with interpreting. So. In reviewing that, I want to give us a little assignment. You know, I'm just being very teacherly today, aren't I? So I'm giving you an assignment, and it's one that you can do almost immediately after this. So we will recite the creed today. And the, the understanding that we've had throughout the ages is that we recite the creed not simply because it's saying what we believe, it's actually what we aspire to believe. And so I think of Mark 9.29, where... Uh, the Father says, I believe, help my unbelief. So it's almost like we're always being formed into that belief. And so the assignment is, well, what, what, is the, what is the way that I need to grow in my belief? What is the way that I need to metanoia, to continue to be transformed into the mind of Christ? Um, through the recitation of that creed. Um, and so that's my assignment for you today. Uh, There's also some questions for you to ponder as you do your devotions this week. Um, There are ways in which you can uh, go even deeper into your learning in these passages. Well, to that end, I wanted to close us in prayer. And and so join me in prayer now. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for the ways in which uh, you have sent your Son into the world to meet us where we are, in the depths of our depravity, our frailty. You have met us there through your Son, and then called us to this turning away and turning towards you. 
And Lord, I pray that as we experience these passages today, as we grow in our belief and grow in the transformation that only your son can provide, that we may find ourselves in this Advent season more and more prepared to receive Christ into ourselves. We pray all this in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you, everyone.